0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome
1: to the MMA Fan Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen,
0: I give you, Stu and Blake.
1: Hello and welcome to the MMA Fan Podcast. I'm Blake Harrison. I'm
2: Stu Within. How you doing? Good, mate. Good. How've you been? All right. All right. Coming off the back of a, a four-day bank holiday weekend, which was nice. We had uh, we had sunshine on uh, on Sunday. I had my shorts on in the garden, and, and Sunday took my dog for a walk in the snow.
1: Oh, lovely! Yeah, the weather's <laughs> been like. What has the weather been doing? We had like nice sunshine one day, snow the next. It's been fucking mental. Um. Well, look, I I um I I'm really happy about starting the show today because I've got I've got something exciting to to show you. Um so we've got some fans of the show down at uh Angel Share Glass in in Scotland. I say down at, I should say up at Angel Share Glass in Scotland. And they have sent us a cheeky little gift which is um a a little spirit glass here and it's got I don't know if you can see it there, Stu. Oh, the MMA Fan that? Podcast. That's so good, isn't it? So, uh, there you <laughs> who, go. Who was that? Again? Well, well, it's, it's that. Angel Share Glass. They're a glassmaking company up in Scotland, and they're fans of the podcast, and they've sent us uh, sent us that little cheeky number, which is uh, the Angel Share Glass Spirit Glass. Uh, you know, whether you choose Scotch whiskey, bourbon, rum, port, cognac, or even gin, this glass encourages you to sit back, relax, and savour your drink without having to take it too seriously which I think is the perfect fit for us, Stu, because, you know, we want people to savour our show but not take it too seriously because we're both idiots. Exactly, so, uh, exactly. So that's the perfect fit for us. So to everyone at uh, Angel Share Glass uh, up in Scotland, thank you so much for that. Thanks that's so nice. kind of beautiful little spirit glass inscribed with the MMA fan podcast on it. And uh, there's one here... For you, Stu, coming oh, your way. Amazing. So uh, yeah, I, I made sure I asked for two. You know, we got one. So, <laughs> they just sent us those. That's so nice of them. So thank oh, you, thank you, Share Glass up in Scotland for for all of your glass making needs, and uh, they've got some fun stuff on the website. So check them out if you're into drinking your spirits and stuff like that. So yeah, that's a nice way to start the show. It. We? we got our oh, first little gift.
2: That will that's go amazing. quite of place in the uh, in the Whiff where I am right now in in, in the garden uh, yeah. shed bar
1: perfect absolutely brilliant so okay now that now that that brilliant piece of news is out of the way let's get on to i think one of the weirdest injuries possibly in mma history so i mean we would we quickly mention this before we start recording the show and it looks like we've got two different ideas of what happened mm. so i'm gonna start with just to, for anyone that doesn't know cage fury fighting championships there are a smaller promotion in in america Usually around the kind of northeast of the United States, and they've got a Russian fighter called Ketak Pliev. I've probably pronounced that absolutely terribly, but I think it's Ketak Pliev. And uh, he was fighting at uh, Cage Fury Fighting Championships or, or CFFC ninety four, and his ring finger detached. Um, according that I what what's your idea of what happened? Because I I've listened to his coach and. Kitak talking on mmafighting.com uh about what happened. What what because you I love the whole Chinese whispers of 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 MMA and Ave like, oh this happened, this happened. So what is your
2: understanding of what happened? Okay, right. So I saw um I saw the you sent me the picture, but I'd already seen it uh and had had a little look. And then it led me to like a Twitter clip where it sort of showed where they thought it happened, where it was, a, from what I saw, a kick that, that literally must have caught his finger and whether it sort of bent it back so far. And then the next thing, there was footage in his corner. And, and, and obviously, I still couldn't see if the finger come right off or if it was just snapped all the way back and was just, like, hanging... I mean, it's pretty fucking horrid, isn't it? <laughs> there's, there's there's no silver lining here. Every single yeah. thing, whatever the, you know, you kind of take on it is, there's a finger missing. Yeah. So, what's he, yours?
1: So, all right, well, according to uh, Katak and his coach... So, what I've got here, so... Uh, after being taken down, his opponent reaches under and grabs his glove illegally and starts pulling on his glove, causing Kitak's finger to lodge in his own glove. So his fingers kind of caught and bent over in his own glove. Now, once his fingers lodge, they get back to their feet, start striking. Oh. And uh, apparently, Kitak has a very hard punch, according to his coach. I mean, he would say that, but I don't. I don't disbelieve him because of what happens. Uh, with the finger lodged in, a punch connects, and with uh, because the finger's already bent in there, the punch was so hard that it the impact of the punch caused his finger to sever off. Uh, I don't know how that's possible, but that's what they're saying. Uh, there's a, a, a lot of people out there saying that he's lost his finger, his finger's come off. His finger was actually, I think, still attached, but hanging on by, like thread like skin. Oh. So his fingers just kind of flopping around in his glove. But what makes it even weirder is obviously the ref has to come in and the ref stops the fight um because of the missing finger. Apparently Katak wanted to carry on, he wanted to go out for the third round and just fight. He which is fine. It was so
2: weird. It's
1: so weird. But um but yeah the the moment that was the weirdest and potentially funniest is that a big like PA announcement in the arena in Philadelphia went out, asking people in the building to be on the lookout for Pleeb's finger because they were trying check, to find it.
2: Check under it. your seats. Check under your seats. <laughs> <laughs> You've won the raffle. There's Pleeb's finger. Oh, someone's my got God. one floating about in their pint. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's it. So I think I think it was lodged in the glove, but because people couldn't find it. It, there, an announcement went out saying, can everyone in attendance please look out for Kitak finger? Wow. So uh, that is mental. Thankfully, in the end, Paliyev's finger gets sewn back onto his hand. He's on the road to recovery and he wants to keep fighting and pursue his dream of fighting in the UFC. So, I mean, good luck to him. I hope he gets there because that is, that is a sacrifice, isn't it? I mean... You'll never get his coach saying to him, pull your finger out or anything, will you?
2: That's, uh... Was that whole story <laughs> a lead up to that joke?
1: <laughs> no, I literally just thought of that joke as I was speaking and I was really
2: proud of myself. And the fact yeah. you
1: didn't laugh has really upset me. Oh, man. I was really proud. I was literally, as I was speaking, I was like, oh, that's a good one.
2: <laughs> well, I think- oh, mate. When, when we do get on to um, today's guest we should definitely discuss MMA injuries and uh and, and, and what's the worst he's experienced. But uh yeah. I mean looking back over some of the I I I I guess when you look at Johanna's um Eva head swell, oh. I mean oh I mean that, that was Gee. one of the the most shocking things I've seen in the octagon. Obviously the weidman um Anderson Silver oh. leg break.
1: That was, was horrendous. That yeah. was really bad,
2: like, um, and then you've got
1: strange to... ones like um, we mentioned it with with Scroobius Pip on, on that episode about Captain um, uh, Gano suffering a toenail to the eye from Megan Anderson. Mm. Um, that's got to be a pretty random one. I mean, there was a there was no UFC this weekend, but there was no. a Bellator uh, night. No, I don't yes. know if you got to watch any of it. I, I, I was able yet, to no. watch it on um, on BBC iPlayer. Uh, they're now doing the full card. I thought it would just be highlights, but it was like a, a frigging four or five hour long card just all on on the iPlayer. And I, I watched it. I mean, it's, I'm early days with Bellator. I can't say that I've been someone that's been uh, as addicted to Bellator or watching as much Bellator as the UFC. It's been much harder to, to get hold of and watch. But um, the production value It less. Does, it doesn't feel... I don't know. It, it to me. It, I know was, what you're saying. You know, it does we, feel like it's lacking something to what I'm usually we, watching. However, when it got to some of the top fights, um, it, it was great. I mean, Pitbull looked amazing, and there's a, there's an argument to be said that he's the best featherweight in the world. What would happen if he ever fought Volkanovski or Holloway? You know, there's arguments out there that he would he would he is the best featherweight in the world. But we, and we can get on to all the Bellator stuff. But the reason I brought it up was uh, Jason Jackson in his fight against Neiman Gracie basically rubbed his eye all along the fence. And he said he felt like his eyelid pull up and stuff. And he he suffered like... He carried on the fight and ended up winning the fight. But he suffered quite a bad eye injury uh, during that fight just from his face and his eye kind
2: of breaking down the fence. Wow. That's not nice. Not nice. Uh, You see lots of, like... I mean, you you see quite... uh, I've, I've seen a few over the years... Of, like, ear injuries, either like the pop, like the pop in the cauliflower ears just burst, oh. uh, or or sometimes literally just get torn. And oh. uh, that, that, that don't be. Th- oh, no, obviously, we mentioned it with when we had Tomo on, Robbie Lawler's lip.
1: Oh I mean, my that, God, that, the lip.
2: You know, the, the fact that he didn't keep his mouth shut, was still screaming with joy when he won with another mouth was absolutely batshit. But, uh, was, it,
1: was it Uriah Hall that had the bad toe injury? Who, who was it? Oh, that? His God, toe was yes. like facing the wrong way. It was like a really bad toe injury, and they kept the KUSC cameraman <laughs> at kept going to the toe. He kept going straight for the toe. What's up, like, mate? We've seen it once. We don't need to keep
2: seeing the toe. Oh, that was a bad one as well. Uh, and I'll tell you what, that's, um, that's the one that, like, when you hear it, you just think, oh, how bad is it? Come on, just show us. Let's have a look. And then when they show you, like, oh, I didn't need to see that. Yeah. Uh, I did not need to see that. Now you've gone back and we're looking at it again. It was like, yeah, that was brutal. I've, uh, you know, in my, my, my dabblings in, uh, in, in, in Muay Thai, um, I've had my big toe uh, snapped.
3: And uh, checking a kick, Uh, I checked a kick, kick
2: and it and it literally just snapped it, and my my, my big toe was like almost hanging down, Mm. Uh, and I panicked, and I sort of flicked the glove, like flung my glove off, and tried to sort of push it back because I thought it was just sort of disconnected or something, Uh, which it kind of put it back in a sort of area where it should be, and then I think the adrenaline of sparring kind of dropped, and then I was like hey, oh, that's, that's really hurting now, and it's kind of still facing <laughs> a bit the wrong way. And I remember sitting in um, Basildon Hospital in the uh, A&E, and I must have looked like such a tit. I still had my vest on and my me, me, me fancy, si- shiny Muay Thai shorts. And I was sitting there, and you could see people walking in in Basildon, which is a pretty unforgiving place. And, uh, and they'd look, walk in and just think, fucking state of him in them shorts? Who's he think? And then they'd look down, they'd be like, fuck, ooh. <laughs> that toe shouldn't be facing that way, <laughs> oh, but yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I mean, it wasn't Uriah Hall level because that was like almost sort of hanging off as well, wasn't it? it was I, I like, just
1: remember it being bad, and I, I think it was Uriah Hall. but Yeah, but yeah I, just, I remember just the cameraman just going to that toe <laughs> all the time. And I was like, please stop with the toe, man. <laughs>
2: Oh, brilliant! Well, should we introduce uh, today's guest? Have we got anything else we need to say before we get on with uh, today's chat?
1: I don't think so. No, let's let's go for it. We've got a uh, uh, a brilliant young prospect,
2: oh, you could oh, say. Yeah, uh, yeah. Do, do, do you see where I'm going with this? Uh, yeah, that's up uh, there with the pull your finger out one. <laughs> Good work.
1: Yeah, you can tell I don't write any of the comedy shows <laughs> I do. <laughs> um but yes, no, uh we've got Nathaniel the Prospect Wood, uh former Cage Warriors Bantamweight champion, current UFC Bantamweight fighter. Um yeah, I'm just really excited about hearing what he's gotta say. What's what's he gotta say for himself? What's he gotta say for himself, Nathaniel? We go on, mate, what's he gotta say for yourself? I don't know why I'm saying it like that. But yeah, no, no, I'm pretty excited to hear what he's going to say. I've had a little kind of Twitter uh, relationship with Nathaniel for a bit, Twitter and Instagram, just a little back and forth, wishing him luck and stuff. So this has been the first time that I've actually properly chatted with him. So I am very excited to have him on.
2: Wonderful. Well, let's get going. Enjoy. Uh, welcome to today's podcast guest, Nathaniel Wood. How you doing? I'm
3: very well, thank you. Appreciate you guys having me on. And uh, yeah, I look forward to speaking to you. Absolute pleasure. Pleasure's
1: mate. ours, mate. Pleasure's ours. Um, I suppose we, we start off uh a lot of the podcast with, with the same question, which I think really sets the tone for for, for the chat, which is kind of what got you into fighting? <laughs> what like you know, we, we, were you someone that uh responded well to confrontation as a kid, or did, did you get into scraps, anything like that, or is is it something else? Like what, what what made you think? Oh, fighting something I
3: could do for a living, you know. So mine's actually a little bit unusual to to most fighters. You know, a lot of fighters were either bullied or you know the opposite. They liked getting into scraps, and they just had that kind of you know desire to fight. With me, I just wanted to do uh, a sport for a living. Um, and I was, I think I was fifteen, so I think I just no, I was sixteen, just left school, and I was doing building work. You know, I just kind of didn't know what else to do so I went on the building side with my uncle and I just thought mate sod doing this for the rest of my life I didn't like it at all I could I couldn't see myself working in an office and my dad said what do you want to do for a living I said I just want to be into into sports you know Um, I want to be an athlete you know everything about it appeals to me and at the time I was a UFC fan already you know I was watching it and I was uh, I was watching the kind of They were like the countdown series and stuff where it was more about the fighters training and stuff like that. And I was watching the likes of Demetrius Johnson, Brad Pickett, who's now my coach. And they were saying that, you know, they didn't start their training until they were in their 20s. So, you know, I was sitting there thinking, hold on, I'm 16 now. If I do the maths, you know, if I train hard, there's no reason why I can't make this uh, into a living. You know, obviously with boxing, football and majority of other sports, it's going to be hard to make it you know, a living if you start at the age yeah. of 16, you know, you've got to be pretty damn good to, um to be, to be making a career out of it. So I went along with my dad who was already doing martial arts. You know, he was doing jujitsu at the time and mate, I was like a duck to water. You know, I loved it. I loved the the competition side of it. You know, it's a one-on-one sport and yeah. So from the get go, I just said to my dad, before we even went there, I went, I'm going to make this a living. Um, you know, I don't want to go on a building site. So I don't want to go in an office. So, I'm gonna just make this work and you know, he was with me every step of the way and just said, Look, you better uh better make sure you train hard then. So yeah, here we are now.
2: And so that was that was jujitsu. And was mm-hmm. did you go into that thinking, you know, I wanna get involved in like high level jujitsu, or was that I wanna learn this as one of the disciplines to fulfil an ambition to be an MMA fighter?
3: Yeah, literally that. I thought, right, I need to, to be a USC champion. I've got to do some jujitsu. So, you know, I went along, obviously, with my dad. And at the, the class, there was a Muay Thai coach. I said, right, I need to do some stand-up. So I need to go and do Muay Thai. Um, and then in my head, just, you know, being a 16-year-old kid, I just thought to myself, all I've got to do is work harder than my opponents, and then I'm going to win. Um, and it kind of just stuck with me like that, and... At the time in in my gym, there was uh, Jimmy Manoa, who wasn't in yep. the UFC at the time. He was but number one in the UK, and I think he was in his thirties. And I remember thinking, right, well, if I'm training with these guys now at the age of sixteen, it's inevitable. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna reach that that top top uh, position in the sport. And yeah, I just, if, in a way, it's weird. I just never never doubted it. I just. You know, before I even had a spa, I just said, yeah, I'm, this is what I'm going to do. And, you know, I just, I'm too stubborn to, to give up with it. So I just stuck with it. And, uh yeah, that's what I and say. That,
2: it's, um, it's fun. that stubbornness as well, like, that brings with it a lot, a, a, a confidence, I imagine, as well. And just through feeling like, you know, you, you took to it, you know, like a duck to water, there's a big difference, obviously, from hitting the bag, hitting the pads and feeling like this is good. But then... Did you take that confidence into your first spar and just think, "Hang on, someone's actually going to punch me back this time"? And like, did 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 that confidence sort of was that there already, or was there kind of? Did you ever kind of get fearful of what you was about to do? Because walking into a a, a boxing gym or a, a Muay Thai gym or whatever for the first time, it's quite you know it can mm. I think from an outsider can perceive it to be a quite an intimidating environment. Um, I think through going in them as well they're not there's a lot of brotherhood mm-hmm. and a lot of you know r- people that will become your friends for life there but yeah just i'm going off the, sort of where i'm going with a question but yeah that confidence you said of just <laughs> feeling like this is this is i'm a duck to water here how did that confidence go when it got to well i've got to put the gloves on and put my gum shield in and and, and start to spar now
3: well i was always confident i think you know with my dad being already there in part of the gym, you know, straight away introduced me to all the the highest level guys, you know, and it was kind of, I was, I was the baby in the gym, you know, so it was everyone kind of taking me under their wing and, you know, I just trusted them. So I thought, right, if, you know, these guys are going to take me under their wing, show me how to do it, just trust them, you know, trust the process and, you know, listen to your coaches and yeah, that's, that's all I did. And, you know, obviously I got beaten up in sparring, but (laughs) I, I loved it. You know, I've always ever since I can remember I've always loved play fighting I'm quite a boisterous uh kid you know I was always getting in trouble at school for play fighting and I remember the teachers telling my, my mom when uh I was probably like 10 years old they were like oh he must keep his hands and feet to himself and because I just always wanted to wrestle you know I was watching the, the WWF or WWE and you know I just wanted to just play fight and wrestle and if there was you know a uh, Kids, if I was a when I was a kid if I was at a kid's party and there's a bouncy castle you know I was doing somersault flips and trying to beat everyone up but it was only ever just that competition I just love it I'd always be running around and you know I guess doing what boys do and to me now this this sport this is play fighting you know we have a referee we have rules you know where it's a 1v1 sport and that's it. You know, I'm literally, to me, I'm play fighting for a living. So, you know, it's,
2: it's, a, it's a cool job to have. Well, before we sort of pick back up on, on, on the journey, you, you talk about play fighting. And in the intro to this that, 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 uh, that Blake and I recalled, um, we spoke about an incident um, that happened in the last week that, where I think the play fighting took a strange turn where uh, a fella lost his finger. <laughs> uh, have you oh, seen this?
3: I saw, yeah. I haven't seen. How did he lose the finger?
2: Well, this so is it.
3: it. Well, I think I—I I heard
1: uh, uh, him and his coach Kitak Pliev, I think, is his name, uh, uh, CFFC, and they—they uh, uh, they were saying that they, they got into a grappling exchange. His opponent, according to them, illegally was kind of like tampering and pulling at his glove, which caused uh, the guy's finger to lodge in the in the glove. And then when they stood back up to strike, he threw a punch. And somehow oh, with the finger man. lodged, it severed the finger. Yeah, so I think what Stu, if you don't mind me picking up, what is probably going to say is, you call it play fighting, but there's not that much <laughs> playful about it if people are losing fingers, getting knocked out, choked out, eye pokes, knees. Yeah. You know, we've, we've had a plethora of incidents recently, haven't we, have, with um, illegal strikes or accidental mm-hmm. eye pokes. Now we've had a finger come <clears> off, I mean... The amazing thing yeah, I was saying to that, really was that it's not
3: often the fingers are no, uh, enough.
1: <laughs> well, I think that's why it's made such news, is, you know, it's such a random, yeah. unusual injury. And the fact that there's an announcement saying, can people please look out for Pliab's yeah. finger? It may be under your seat. <laughs> you know, that, that kind of thing is unusual, even in MMA. Yeah. But you call it play fighting. But there's obviously some really serious risks involved. How do you go into it with a a mentality of, oh, I just love to play fight for a living when when yeah. you must be obviously aware of those risks.
3: So the way I best explain it is duh, 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 paintballing. You go paintballing, it's pretend battle, you know, if you like. It hurts. You know, getting shot with a paintball gun, flipping hurts. And people still do it, you know. So, of course, there's, there's injuries in the sport and you, people can get hurt, but it's very slim, you know. It's not very often that there's real you know, serious damage in the sport. I touched wood. I've never, you know, had anything serious like that. And uh, bumps and bruises, you know, that's all part of the sport. And it's all part of the, you know, the fun and games, as I call it. And, you know, I think to myself that, you know, if you play rugby or you play football, there's injuries. You know, I know many footballers that have had a hell of a lot more injuries than I've had. And you wouldn't think that when I'm the one that's fighting in a cage and they're just playing a game of football, Um so yeah that's how I kind of look at it you know obviously you do get the freak accidents like losing a finger um, and apparently he wanted to carry on or something <laughs> he did yeah, yeah he so, did he tried to hide it yeah he's a little the bit the doctor or the rev came um, in yeah <laughs> you wouldn't go that far nah, nah, the game's over when you lose yeah, a finger so, uh, <laughs> don't get me wrong you know uh, I used to you know think a lot more serious of it and but now I just kind of go in there thinking the worst that can happen is I get knocked out and you know that can happen like with anything you're on a motocross bike well there's there's risks involved you know every day I go out in the car you're at risk of potentially you know having a car accident and I just think of it now as you know with MMA it's such a hit and miss sport you know it's so um it's so small on making an error that's it you can lose and there's no point in even worrying about it so for me you know I just go in there and I'm like right this is what I like to do this is the the fun in the games as such, you know, I know that there's the ref there, there's the medic team, you know, the worst that can happen to me is I get knocked out. If I do, I'll probably wake back up about 20 20 seconds later and, you know, everything will be fine. So, you know, as I say, it's, it's, you can't go in there and just worry about it. So, you know, I always find that there's more, there's more to life. There's more things going on in the world to worry about than, you know, me worrying about getting a couple of punches or digs in a, in an MMA bout
1: and what was what what's going backwards what's your dad's background then because is he am i right thinking he's still your strike is he your striking coach is he yeah
3: my dad's kind of um i'd say he's got like a head coach role so he does a bit of everything with yeah. me um unfortunately he's 56 now and his body's battered so you know he doesn't grapple with me anymore or do anything like that but um yeah he's he's my kind of head coach you know i'd say he puts together the plans, you know, he holds pads for me, although, you know, he'd rather not now because his elbows are shot to pieces. Um,
0: but he's always
3: in my corner. You know, he's the guy that can get into my head. He knows me best. You know, he's my dad. So he's been there with me since I was born. He knows when, you know, I might need a, a bit of a kick up the ass and let's go. and Or he might, he know when I need to calm down. You know, there's many days where he's saying to me, mate, you're doing too much. I need you to chill out a little bit, relax and, you know, so what better person can I have in my corner than, than my dad, you know? Um, so, yeah, you know, it's more of a trust thing with him. You know, I, I take him there with me all the time and, you know, I know I can trust my life with him. So that's quite a special thing to have, especially when, you know, you're going in to have a fight with someone.
2: And how did the uh, relationship with, with Brad come about?
3: So in the end, with Brad, I was always a fan. I've seen him many times as a fan and just kind of giving him the wave and and whatnot. But we, we met through t- a teammate. You know, uh, I had a teammate who was also managed by Brad's manager at the time. So I went along with him just for some sparring one day. And, you know, I was luckily enough that Brad moved five minutes away from my house. So he said to me, look, Naif, you know, if you want to jump in the car with me and start coming to the gym, you know, you can, you can jump in. You ain't got to pay for any petrol. So... You know, obviously being like a 19-year-old kid, I didn't have a pot to piss in because all my money was just spent on training. Um, and yeah, you know, it was uh, we got on like a house on fire. And, you know, it's nice to say now that, you know, the guys are like family to me. So, yeah, so it's a, it's a cool relationship to have with, you know, someone that I was a fan of before, you know, I even put the gloves on.
1: And does, I mean, your, your pre-fight ritual <laughs> does get a little bit of attention because... To anyone that doesn't know, you get Brad to slap you quite hard repeatedly in the face before you jump in the cage. Now, does Brad
3: enjoy that a little too much? Oh, he does. He does. I've had had to say to him, I'm like, listen, my mum said to me that you can only slap me twice now, not three. Because she was getting worried that I was going to go into the fight already concussed, you know. Um, And I've actually had fights where I've gone in with more damage from Brad than, you know, my opponent gave me. So, um, but, you know, that that ritual came from my dad, you know, my first ever semi-pro fight. He was the one doing it to kind of, I've always said to everyone, if you're going into a fight with nerves, jitters, and you're just overthinking, if someone slaps you in the face, you're not going to be thinking about anything anymore other than I'm going to smash this guy up, you know? Um, yeah. So I do sometimes have to hold back from giving Brad a slap, but you know, I just have to <laughs> get quickly in that cage and then, you know, let's let's get the fight started because, man, I don't like getting slapped and uh, yeah, Brad does it hard for sure.
1: And, and You see you two on, like, Instagram and stuff. Like that. You seem to have a really great relationship, you and Brad, and you mm-hmm. just touched on it there. And, you know, you're, you're also fighting in his weight class that, that yep. you know, he was a big part of. Do you, I mean, it, basically, if, if this was like... If your life was a a Kung Fu movie or a computer game, it'd be like, now you must, like, avenge the losses of your master. So that's it. Send the apprentice in. Like, do you ever get any, like, oh, this person beat Brad, so I really want to go and fight them now or anything like that? Mate,
3: it's funny you say that. As soon as I got signed by the UFC, I think... I had my first fight, and then straight after I called out every person that had beaten Brad and said, <laughs> right, I want to I wanna avenge Brad's losses. Which one of you wants it? And the only one to re- reply was um, Cheeto Vera. So that's where we've kind of had that little bit of beef and stuff. Right, yeah. So, yeah, it's all fun and games, but literally, like you said, I want to avenge my master, you know. And if you're fighting someone that beat your coach, mate, what better way to, you know, get in the gym? Like, you don't need any more motivation than that. So... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But I don't know. It's a great storyline as well. It, you know, it, it's like a, a kung fu movie or something. Yeah. You know, like if you ever do fight Cheetah Vera or Thomas Almeida or something like that, it is like there's extra spice to it. And, you know, when, when you're not headlining the cards or when you're not in like number one contender fights or something those little bits of storyline are, I think, the things that make people go, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make sure I'm tuning in for the prelims or I'm going to make sure I'm tuning in right from the start of the card because. There's this awesome storyline behind the fight that, that that I always get very attached to and really enjoy.
3: Yeah, for sure. And that's what I say to everyone now that, you know, of course you've got to fight, you've got to win and, you know, put on a performance. But sometimes people want a little bit more. You know, that's why a lot of people are doing the trash talking, which isn't for me. Um, so, yeah, if we can get a little bit more of a storyline, like I'm fighting the guy that beat my coach. Mate, people are going to tune in and... uh Yeah, unfortunately, his opponents didn't really, you know, think obviously much of it. Cheeto Vera started, you know, just talking his mouth. And then, uh, yeah, a lot of them didn't even reply. So I'll have to keep on, uh, you know, poking him until, um, you know, they they finally (laughs) accept him.
1: I look forward to it.
2: And just in in regards to that, obviously, we we spoke about just before you get in the octagon, you know, Brad giving you a slap. Just, just to go back a little bit before you get to there, what's your kind of routine backstage before before you walk out? Because we spoke to a few fighters and we asked Brad about this when he was on and, and we spoke to to Paddy Pimlet who said, like, you know, he, he's very – he can't keep still. We said, but mm-hmm. he's seen other fighters that are literally having a sleep, which seemed insane. But, like, yeah. what, what, what's your routine?
3: So, for me, I've got down to a a T now to what I like, you know. Um, I will not even look like I'm fighting until about two hours before. You know, I like to be as relaxed as possible. You know, the whole fight camp, all I'm worrying about is making weight. Once I've made weight, that day I'm thinking about what am I going to eat? And then on fight day, I just make sure I don't think about anything because I don't want to, you know, um, what's the word? Just over clog my mind with thoughts of what can happen? What if this happens? Because it's MMA, anything can happen. Mm. And then about two hours before, I just have to get angry, man. You know, I, I, I you people will see me and I look like a psycho before, you know, I'm just screaming my head off and just, you know, bouncing up and down. Just like Paddy Pimlet said, oh, I cannot s- sit still. Um, as long as I'm moving and constantly just, you know, just shouting to myself and in my head thinking, you know, this guy has just tried to attack my mum or something. I'm good to go. You know, if I sit down too long, that's when, you know, the kind of, jitters creep in, and I start thinking oh you know what if I lose this and I don't get my win bonus and you know I don't want to think about anything other than you know I'm going in there to fight and fight this guy and you know that's obviously why I get Brad to do the slaps because that's just kind of that extra little you know thing to piss me off and and get me rowdy for the for the fight so you know I always feel that two hours before switch on you know get some music in my head and you know, stuff that will get me pumped up. And, yeah, for two two hours, I'm just bouncing around like, you know, I'm on an untold amount of caffeine.
2: You you touched on fight bonuses there. And, you know, since you've been in the UFC, you've won a few of those. Um, And I just wonder, with all of the things that must be going through your head the minute that buzzer sounds and the fight starts – Is them win bonuses, are they ever in the back of your mind when you're fighting?
3: Mm, If I'm honest, when I'm fighting, no. But they are before the fight, you know, because obviously this is a harsh sport in the sense where, you know, a couple losses and you're done. And, you know, okay, you do have a few other promotions now like Bellator, 1FC, but I want to be in the UFC. You know, that's the the top the top place to be that's the one that pays the money so you do get those thoughts creeping in of you know oh shit what if I don't put on a good performance and they cut me and you know then I'm not earning any money and then we'll go back to the building sites but I use that to fuel me if that makes sense you know pressure makes diamonds and you know the more pressure I put on myself the more you know it kind of keeps me in the gym keeps me you know doing what I'm supposed to do so yeah you know it does creep in the head but you know, once the fight starts, it you know, anything just goes out the window and it's all kind of tunnel vision on that fight.
1: And how is it with the bonuses after the fight? Because obviously your last fight to Casey Kenny was a really close fight and unfortunately the judges didn't see that in your favour. But you did win a fight of the night bonus. And, you know, for some fighters out there, 50k that you get for that fight of the night bonus is more than their win bonus. So does that in any way cushion the blow or are you like, well, no, I'm still pissed off because I lost? Or, or does that, that fight of the night, does it A, cushion the blow of the loss and does it be you're talking about the the slight kind of anxiety of going, oh, the UFC might cut you, but they're less likely to cut you if you lose but put on yeah. fight of the night and stuff like that. So how, how do you feel about it after the fight? Yeah,
3: 100%, you know, that did soften the blow. Um, what did soften the blow straight away was that <laughs> Dana White was cage side and, you know, even after Casey... They got announced that he won. You know, he looked up and said, "Like, mate, amazing fight." And you know, apparently, he was a standing ovation. So that straight away was like, "Okay, that's a bit of a relief." You know, I haven't, yeah. I haven't pissed the boss off. You know, you could win and put on such a boring fight, and you know, if Dana White walked out out of you know just disappointment of the fight, that would be gutting. So, you know, straight away that he's not
1: shy with it either, no, is it? he? No. He will cut. I mean, like Uriah Hall Anderson Silva. he came out and slagged yeah. off Uriah Hall and. Inganu Lewis back in the day as well that, that he's not shy and sane when he, he's unhappy with the
3: fighters exactly so for the boss to kind of you know turn around straight away say good fight that was a nice feeling um, what was a nice feeling was that I've got a fight you know it was a, a three round war you know it was and as I say it's, it's good fun this is what I like to do you know I don't dread being in the cage because this is what I train to do it's like a footballer playing football you know it's the wrong sport if I wouldn't want to do it so even though getting you know a 40 second knockout is amazing sometimes you get it and you're a bit like mm, you know that was it um so yeah I kind of went off the subject but yeah you know so obviously that's off the blow and then the rest of the fights me and my dad were just watching thinking if anyone's not as good as that fight I've got the bonus <laughs> you know the UFC basically said to Brad mm-hmm. yep you know Nate's going to get the bonus providing no one else outdoes him so for the rest of the night, I was just sitting there like, oh, come on, I need that money. You know, I really could do with that money. And, you know, once uh, the, the Khabib and Justin came out and the fight started really well, as I was like, oh, I'm sitting there thinking, no, like, you know, imagine <laughs> imagine if Khabib gets the, the extra bonus, you know, he doesn't need it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you know, when I saw that the fight got finished pretty quick, I was like, yes, you know, I'm definitely going to get that bonus, which I did. And, yeah, it definitely helped, you know, it definitely put a smile on my face, um, especially that I took the fight on three weeks' notice, you know, so... Yeah. Let's take a, free, a fight on three weeks' notice, come out with, obviously, your your paycheck and an extra 50 Gs. It's a nice feeling, you know. It would have been a been a lot of a, a harder Christmas if I hadn't have done that.
1: Are, are the top UFC brass kind of... Are they um, understanding of and taking into consideration things like they've taken this fight on three weeks' notice? Like, do you ever hear anything from them, either through coaches or or, or yourself, where they kind of go, "Look, well, it doesn't matter. That this person lost. They took this far and short notes. Like you, you kind of you hear this whole thing about being a company guy and and doing things for the company, and you'll be repaid down the line if if you do favors oh, yeah. for the company. Like, so do, does that ever come into consideration, or do you hear anything back about? taking fights on short notice? So I don't hear
3: anything back personally. Um, but you know, with me, it's mainly my manager and Brad that, you know, discuss everything with the UFC. So, you know, I'd like to think that the matchmakers, Dana, you know, they understand he took down short notice, you know, we're not really going to count that as a loss. It was a good fight. Um, but I don't hear anything, you know, personally myself. Um, so that's why obviously at the fight, you know, when Dana looked at me and actually said great fight, that was a nice feeling. Um, because plus I'm a fan of Dana you know like obviously yeah. you know I've been a UFC fan since I uh, I don't know was 11 or 12 and Dana was the man you know so he's it's cool when you know he's there looking at me saying mate wicked fight," and you know it's it's cool experience and um, yeah it just sucks I didn't get the win because you know I actually thought I did and I had a lot of names I wanted to start calling out after I got that win but you know yeah it, shit happens doesn't it
2: um, what, what, one of the things that um, I'm always interested to, to, to ask fighters as, as, as well, Nathaniel, is when um, speaking to Brad, you know, again, you know, Blake and I saw Brad fight many times, and, and we, we, we asked this to, to Paddy and to Molly McCann. British fans love British fighters, and when there's a British fighter on, the, on a bill, the whole country's there and just, and, you know, just literally just cheering them on, wanting to see the British fighter do good. Do you ever feel a weight of expectation from fans when you fight?
3: Yes, I do in the sense where, you know, I put the pressure on myself. but I think I've got to perform, you know, I've got to perform, but not so much just for, for the UK fans, just fans in general. You know, I've got to put on a fight. I've got to make people think they've got their money's worth. And, you know, that's why I always like to be in higher high pace fights you know that the fans are going to turn around and say man that was a good fight you know i'd rather lose and be in a, a fight like casey kenny which got fired the night than win and just you know he grinded out a win or you know he just took the guy down and laid on him for three rounds and you know people don't remember that so you know it helps obviously having a coach like brad who was known for being in some absolute wars um but yeah you know it's hard. You have got to get the win, but you know, usually I'm just thinking of put on a performance more than anything. You know, that means the world to me. Having someone message me saying, "What an amazing fight you had," and you know, to get fight at the night, it's a cool feeling to think. You know, out of all them fights, I was the most entertaining fight on the on the night. You know, um, so yeah. But in fighting in the UK, especially when I was on Cage Warriors, having about 2,000 fans in a packed out little O2 Indigo Arena. That was cool, you know. That was like, man, I can't let these people down. Um, and it was always that extra push in the fight because it felt like they were in there with me, you know. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, it is a good feeling, especially when you know you're fighting in the UK and uh, when I fought in UFC London, it was a it was a sold out arena, and you know that was special. It was. Um, it's hard to explain how it feels coming out to a crowd that cheering you on when there's what eighteen thousand people in that arena.
0: For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. And
2: in regards to um, the the performance of In the Ring and and things like that and and how you want to give people a show and and obviously how you were saying you want to impress the boss and, you you know, you want to, you know, keep moving forwards. Um And obviously when we spoke to, to Brad as well, he said he was never one for trash talking. And, and I know that you're not a big trash talker, uh, you know, as well from what we've seen of you, but you did also say that it was in your mind. If you got that, win, you was going to call out uh some fighters and stuff. So is that, you know, we've seen it with, with the McGregor effect, whatever you want to call it. And we've, we've seen it now with, with um, O'Malley, like, you know, these people are creating hype. Yeah. Like, you know, um, is, is that kind of social media side of things and, and you know, Nathaniel Wood uh, as a brand, is that something that you're, you know, that you give a lot of thought to as well? And, and how do you approach that?
3: It is for sure. You know, um, you know, I think that it's very important that athletes market themselves well. You know, you've got to focus on building your brand, which is yourself, because at the end of the day, that's what's going to stay with you forever. You know, this sport is, it can be very short. So, you know, if you can build your brand, you've always got that to fall back on. Um, But however, I also do believe in being yourself. You know, I don't want to, I can't change my personality, you know? So a lot of people say Colby Covington. Oh no, you know, he's a really nice guy if you actually know him, but he's putting that on as a persona. I can't do that. You know, to me, that's, you're selling yourself. And, you know, I'm not into that. So, I will trash talk a hundred percent and I'll call people out if it's natural, but I won't force it. So, you know, when me and Cheeto have had a bit of back and forth, you know, I'm generally enjoying that or I'm having a bit of banter or whatever, but you know, when people are trying to copy, um, like McGregor bread and stuff like that, I just find it so cringy. And, um, you know, it's, it, I think people devalue themselves like that. You know, I want to be known for being myself and, hopefully people like that. And if they don't, you know, then that sucks. But yeah, you know, I don't want to um, sell myself just to earn a couple of extra quid. You know, if the UFC turned around and said to me, look, we want you to act like Colby Covington, and we'll give you a millions of pounds. Never, never, ever, ever would I, you know, create that fake personality. And especially when you're going to get all that hate off people just to have more money in the bank you know that's that to me is not worth it
1: So do you give a lot of thought into your call outs then because I know that you you called out Sean O'Malley mm-hmm. in the past you've recently quite respectfully said to Dominic Cruz you know that you're available for a fight as well recently do you ever have to think like about how the call outs themselves will come across or, or the opportunity post fight when you've got a call out because I mean there's certain call-outs where, as fans, you just go, "Oh, as if that's going to happen." I, I remember Michelle Pereira calling out Masvidal a while back, and you're like, "Masvidal at the time was like number two in the world, off the back of like I've, I don't know if it was the Usman' loss or the um, the win over Nate Diaz, but it's like as if Michelle Pereira, like ranked 25th or 30th, is going to fight Masvidal, <laughs> ranked number two. It's just it's just not going to happen. So do you have to give that a lot of thought in terms of like how it's going to come across, or is it just a case of like? Oh, whatever I'm feeling at the time, or like if I say a big name, it's there's no bad thing that come of it. Either. I ever get to fight, or I don't. But mentioning big names is is important, or or is there more thought that goes into it? So
3: I do put a little bit of thought into it. You know, obviously I've always said that Cody Garbrandt is someone that I would love to fight, but I'm not going to sit there calling him out because he's not going to fight me, is he? I mean, I think he's ranked fifth. Yeah. He's not going to fight someone that's not even ranked in the top fifteen yet. Um The Dominic Cruz one, that had a bit more thought behind it because to me. You know, being, you can say I'm being biased. I won that fight. I thought I won first, Casey Kenny. So yeah. I felt like that should have been me in there with Dominic Cruz. When I watched him fight Casey Kenny, I actually thought Casey Kenny won. But maybe again, that's me just kind of being biased, you know, watching the guy that I just fought. Um, and I was watching that fight thinking, man, I would smash Dominic Cruz here. You know, I would kick his leg to pieces, knowing that he's, you know, not got very strong legs. Um, and I, I believe that I would have got that win. So, You know, it's kind of one where it's a bit of a long shot. You know, I don't think they're going to turn, he's going to turn around and say, yeah, let's fight because, you know, in his head, he's thinking, well, I just beat the guy you beat and all that malarkey. But if you don't ask, you don't get. So, you know, I thought I'd put it out there. And, you know, the most frustrating thing as well is when everyone says, oh, but you're ranked below him. Well, someone's got to fight someone that's ranked below him because otherwise no one's going to fight because everyone's going to be thinking, I need to fight someone in front. Um, Obviously, with Dominic Cruz, I also thought, you know, he's been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Is he in, him, in in his head? Is he still thinking about pursuing the title or is he just fighting to get paid? Because, you know, I can't imagine, I can't see him, you know, getting that belt again. I can't see him beating that, the top five people. You know, for him, he could look at me and think, oh, that's an easy fight. Nice little paycheck in there and, you know, easy work done. So yeah, it's kind of a don't ask, you don't get. So you know, I put that yeah. one out there um, with Sean O'Malley and Cheeto Vera. They're two guys that I don't actually think Sean's ranked, but if he was, he was ranked at the. He's not. The yeah. So when he was, I think he was 15. I think Cheeto's now 15. So I'm like, look, these guys, you know, I think Cheeto's coach said, you oh, know, you're not ranked. So I'm like, well, you're just on the cusp, you know, you're 15. <laughs> so any day, you could. He's coming off a loss you know, as well. He's coming off a loss. Um, you know, he's, same, he's two losses, one win in his last three fights, same as me. Um, and he constantly was giving me back and forth on Twitter. So I'm like, right, fight me. You know, if you're going to say it, let's do it. And Sean O'Malley was the same one. You know, I put something up and I think I put a little bit of banner. I think I said, imagine Sean O'Malley's leg. Cause I had the USC record for most leg kicks yeah. in the fight. And then he said, let's scrap then. So I'm like, okay, cool. Like, that's it. That's done. You've just ac- accepted the fight. Cool let's you know get onto the UFC and make it happen next thing he's fighting Thomas Almeida. so you know why didn't he just reply and say oh piss off you know what I mean like so to reply let's scrap and then not you know that's why I kind of you know been calling him out a little bit um but yeah you know I usually put a little call out if someone doesn't respond to it cool if they do great you know let's let's get a fight on and it's not just always for the crowd, but it's a bit of excitement for me. You know, if I'm fighting Cheeto or Cheeto Vera after, you know, he, he spoke a lot of shit to me, that gets my juices flowing. You know, that gets me in the gym more than I'd normally be. You know, that gives me that little extra motivation. So, um, yeah, it's not always about excitement for the fans. It's also for me as well. You know, I like to have a little something going, in, going into the fight.
1: That, that's very kind of like Michael Jordan. Was it The Last Dance? Did you see that documentary? I, I saw uh, a couple the- of episodes.
3: I didn't see it all the yeah.
1: yeah, I loved it. But it seemed like Michael Jordan would just create things that like someone on the opposing team, he'd go back and say, he just said this about me or he said this about a teammate or my yeah. mom or something like that. And the guy's like, I never said anything. <laughs> <I> never <laughs> said it. But Michael Jordan's concocted this thing and made it a real big thing. That, this guy said this about me. So that it gave him that extra motivation yeah. to go out there and just play harder,
3: train harder, all that kind of stuff. Exactly. Sometimes you need that you know, I'm always motivated, but sometimes you need that little extra something, you know, make it that little bit more exciting. Because you know, if the UFC said to me now, Oh, you're fighting, you know, some guy that no one's ever heard of, you know, you've never heard of him, he's a debut guy, you know, it's not it's not that exciting, you know. Um I'll of course train, but to me that's like you know, it's like going to work, get your paycheck. Cool, you know, I'm happy with that. But when you've got someone that's you know, oh this guy was speaking a bit of crap to you, or when I was fighting um Umar Nurmagomedov, it was like, right, this is Khabib's cousin. Everyone's doubting you and saying how good he is. Cool, you know, let's get in the gym. You know, that's that's got me buzzing. So, you know, things like that do always help. Um, and the more reward, the more exciting. So, you know, if I'm fighting a tough guy who's, you know, so if they gave me now, I don't know, let's say they gave me TJ Dillashaw, I'll be like, shit, TJ Dillashaw's good. You know, that is a tough fight. But, mate, what about if I win that? You know, that's going to get your juices flowing. You know, imagine if I beat TJ Dillashaw, knock him out. And, you know, that's that's always that extra buzz is what I think, you know, can spur fighters on that little bit more during their fight camp.
2: And... That, that whole thing that you see in Rocky films of, like, you know, the, the, the underdog and the hungry fighter, you know, you've got to have that hunger. And so, you know, what you were saying there, you know, getting a, a, a fight like Dillashaw, it's like, you know, this, is a real, this could be a huge moment to really shine and, and where this could take me. And so just in regards to that, that kind of hunger, if we look back at, like, the, the Cage Warriors uh, and that desire to win that belt, to get that belt... Mm-hmm. Was the hunger the same to defend it as it was to win it?
3: It was because, obviously, I wanted to get to the UFC. So, you know, the, the first defense was like, right, I need to defend this title. I'm, I'm like, you know, at the, the finishing line here. I need to just get this guy done, and then the UFC are going to sign me. Then I, when I beat Josh Reed, the UFC, they didn't come with anything. But then when I had just signed my next bout agreement for Cage Warriors, they did. They came in with a short fight offer so i think it was on five weeks notice but where i just signed my bout agreement for cage warriors i turned it down so you know i think in my contract i had to finish the cage warriors fight anyway so you know i don't know if they would have let me go secondly five weeks notice you know it was hard not for to get fit it was hard to make weight so i was thinking you know i don't want to make my ufc debut and miss weight you know that's never going to look good um So going into my final cage or defence, that was even more motivation because now I know the UFC is sitting there with a contract. If I lose, they're going to rip it up. So, you know, what more pressure do you need to perform well than that? You know, I literally know that contract sitting there waiting for me. And then obviously I go in and I think Luke Oven, it was like 40 seconds. I got the knockout. So that was a good feeling. Um, So, yeah, even winning the belt, you know, there was still... A, a long, a lot left in front of me, and even now, yeah. you know, I get to the UFC. Cool, I'm a I'm a fish in a, in a big pond now, you know. Um, whereas before on Cage Warriors, you know, I'm the champ, etc. But now it's the UFC. So until I get that UFC belt, you know, I'm still miles away from where I want to be. Um, so yeah, I, I still look at it as now as you know, I've got a lot of work to do. <laughs>
1: you mentioned uh, weight cutting there. Does, do you have a kind of set regime or, or, or procedure for weight cutting. I mean, we, we had Paddy Pimblet on a few weeks back and he was talking about how he's, he's much better now but he was maybe not the most professional uh, a few years back and I think yeah. he said he got to a point where he cut 18 pounds in one night yeah. to make weight against Julian Arosa and you're like, like, I say stuff like this to my wife and she's like she doesn't understand how it's humanly possible yeah. to cut Anywhere near anywhere near that that kind of weight, so I mean if you don't mind me asking how much is like your average cut from your kind of walking around weight to your uh to your fight weight to that one hundred and thirty five pound mark,
3: and what's your kind of procedure for doing it so i I walk around at about i've gone up to about seventy six kilos before, but if i'm healthy and you know training eating reasonably sensible, I walk around at about seventy three kilos. And I fight 61 kilos. So that's two stone um, I have to lose. The first stone is, wow. you know, is doable through, you know, just dieting. Um, you know, I've got a little bit of fat to lose. But then when I get to about uh, 145 pounds, there's nothing left on me. You know, there's no fat at all. So that's obviously when I then have to do the water cuts and, you know, dehydrate yourself. And that is all a kind of real, that's a science. You know, there's a lot to it. Um luckily I've got a decent nutritionist, Yanis um, Fleming. You know, he's um Mr. Sport on Instagram. So he looks after me, you know, in regards to the process and making sure that I do it healthy. Um, but yeah, it sucks, mate. Cutting weight is horrible. You know, I could fight every week. As I say, it's what we train to do, but I couldn't cut weight every week. Um and because I have such a, in a way, anxiety about making weight all the time, you know, it it means that. I never miss weight, you know, because I'm literally, I'll weigh myself 10 times a day. I'll know exactly, you know, what I should be on the scales every single second of the day. Um, And that's how obviously I always make sure that I make weight. Um, For me, the the process is mainly cutting calories. You know, a lot of people, I have chocolate sometimes two weeks out from a fight. I won't have a lot, but I'll have a little chocolate bar and people say to me, Oh, you know, that chocolate can, you know, do this to your metabolism and it stops your body losing weight. And it's, it's bollocks, you know, you cut down the calories, you'll lose the weight, if you increase the calories, you'll put weight on, whether you're eating an avocado, or whether you're eating a Mars bar, it's the same, if it's the same calories, in regards to losing weight, but, you know, what I tell people, is sometimes having that little bit of chocolate, mentally, it's going to make you feel a hell of a lot better, than having that bit of avocado, that, let's be honest, no one's really going to be that bothered about it, so, um it's not the most healthy process, you know, I make weight, to make weight i don't make weight to be healthy i don't make weight you know my, my fiance, she tries to copy what i do you know she's like yeah i'm gonna do this and i'm gonna get in a sauna and lose weight and i'm like well why because you're not losing water you don't want to lose water weight you know i'm doing this to purely get on the scales at 61 kilos yeah. week later i'm gonna be 73 again um so yeah you know it is a horrible process um but it's something that unfortunately we have to do. And that's what, you know, I always look at is the paycheck. You know, when I get on them scales and I've made weight, that's my paycheck done, you know, and now then it's the fun bit. Um, so, yeah, hopefully one day, you know, the, the process might stop and there might be a way where we can, uh, you know, all just fight our natural weights and not worry about, you know, making ourselves look like crackheads. Well,
1: that's, that's what one championship do, isn't it? That they, yeah. they have, I don't know the exact process. But uh, I know that Demetrius Johnson is fighting at 135 pounds rather than 125 pounds. Yeah. And um, I think they do regular kind of hydration yeah, tests yeah. before the fight. So, so it's, is that something that interests you then? Not necessarily going to one. I know you've mentioned that mm-hmm. like, UFC is where you want to be. But like if the UFC ever said, hey, we're adopting the one championship method of, of weight, so everyone's going to go up 10 pounds and we're going to do these hydration ch- tests to make sure that no one is you know, depleting themselves too much. Is that something that you think is a good thing?
3: Yeah, for sure. I guess what they would do is because they're going to make it so you can't cut water weight, everyone's just going to diet down to where they've got to be. So for me, I guess I'd be 145 pounds, but instead of losing water weight, I'm just yeah. dieting down. However, that still sucks because, you know, me walking around 145 pounds, I'm miserable. You know, I want to eat chocolate. and I don't want to eat and go for Nando's. <laughs> and obviously for me to, like, You know, at 72 kilos, I'm probably 10% body fat. So, you know, if I walk around 66, you know, I won't, I can't think of the top of my head, but that must mean I'm about 5% body fat. So you can imagine, you know, you're pretty pretty miserable, especially when you then have to go and train as well. Um, But yeah, if it can keep me out of that sauna, count me in because that's that's horrible. You know, time goes so slowly when you're in them saunas and, uh, you know, you're just gasping for water
2: well i guess then let's go post win once you've left the arena what's what's the where'd you go Uh, a what do you eat straight away what's what's your go to and then like yeah what's what's the kind of post fight process
3: so the post fight process for me i I never want alcohol you know everyone's always like, oh you, you know you want to go out on the piss i'm like if i'm honest no my adrenaline dump you know kicks in and i just want to eat man and Literally, whatever I can get my hands on. I think in Flight uh, Island, I ordered everything there possibly was on the menu. And, you know, I'm, I think, I, think I, I treated my dad and Brad and Ashley, and it comes a few hundred quid for pizzas and brownies and milkshakes. And this is at, like, three in the morning. Um, so, yeah, if I'm honest, whatever I can get my hands on um, and just... It's disgusting really, you know. If anyone sees me, I look in the mirror when I'm doing it and I'm thinking, man, what, what's my life come to? You know, the fat greasy bag like dripping down my mouth. But um it's a nice feeling, you know, and uh they also the say your eyes bigger than your belly. So, you know, I've made myself sick a few times post fight. Um but it's always worth it.
2: <laughs> well, you you mentioned Fire Island there and uh Tell us a little bit about Fight Island.
3: It's cool. It is a good experience. Um, you know, nothing beats having a crowd in an arena, but, you know, fighting with no one in there is actually a, quite a cool experience in itself as well. You know, I can hear the commentators talking as I'm fighting. And
2: Right, that's something I want to know. So yeah. it's really weird because sometimes you're a Rogan or DC, go like, whoa! And if someone's banged you, and you can hear yeah. all of these people. Does that... Can you can hear all of this?
3: Yeah, 100%. No! Um, yeah, so... Well, did you...
1: You heard that thing where DC was basically saying, my mind's a cheat code, because I can't remember who it was, but DC was saying something about the wrestling, and the fighter heard it, and then adapted and then thanked DC
3: in this post interview because he heard... It. And DC was like, I can't help it, I'm a cheat code. No, I didn't know that. But I know Kevin Holland was asking Khabib when he was saying, you're going to be a professional person. <laughs> um, but it's, it's one of those... And where... then he did take down Derek Brunson yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those where, you know, there's about... I'd say there's about 40 people in the like arena because, you know, there's there's the press, there's Dana, the matchmakers, refs, etc., whatever but it's whoever you focus listening to. So, you know, trying to listen to my corner, that's all I can hear. But then your mind does kind of, you know, uh, like taking off notice a bit and I'm listening to the commentators and I'm thinking... I'm winning your prick, do you know what I mean? Or whatever. And, um, yeah, you know, sometimes obviously, if the commentators are like, you know, saying, oh, Nate's nice, looking great, I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, you know, of course I am. Um, but yeah, you know, obviously, I'm trying, usually I try to, to focus on my cornerman, and then, you know, that obviously kind of blacks out everything out. I'll tell you what, I could hear my opponent's cornerman, and that was pissing me off with Casey Kenny, because they were saying there was a time when, you know, he didn't even hit me, and they were like, yeah, and I'm like, Shut the fuck up! Come on, you know what I mean. He didn't even—he didn't even <laughs> hit me. Um, and in my head, in my head, I'm thinking, no, the judges are going to think that he did hit me now, and you know, or or his cornerman say like, you know, he's got nothing, he's got nothing. And I'm thinking, right, we're going to see about that. So, you know, you have got to be careful with it because you know, if you're um, cornerman opponent, uh, your opponent's cornerman, sorry, if they can get into your head, you know, that can and uh, mess you up a little bit. So. You know, I have to make sure I, I block that out and, you know, just try and listen to my dad and, and Brad.
2: And, and in regards to, to, to Fight Island, and obviously the whole reason it come about is because of the pandemic and the situation that we're all in. How did <laughs> fighting during a pandemic, how, how was that for you, you know, uh, for, for, for training, for sparring? And mm-hmm. how did it affect the usual routine?
3: If I'm honest, I got very lucky. Um, I fought John Dodson just before the pandemic started. Then when we had the first lockdown where, you know, I couldn't even get in the gym, you know, I didn't really need to train because I just had a fight anyway. So, you know, you can have a little bit of downtime. Um, And then we just, I think, eased up the first lockdown when I was fighting Umar Nurmagomedov. I think I had eight or nine weeks and we could go back into the gyms and, you know, everything was kind of back to normal. Um, And then the Casey Kenny fight was obviously on short notice, but when, I was fighting him professional athletes were allowed to train so I never you know had to fight or you know get in a fight camp with no gym luckily you know I always kind of got away with it so that's why I always say you know win lose or draw I'm just fortunate that I got to you know be able to compete because I know there's a lot of fighters out there that didn't and you know if you don't fight you don't get paid so the fact that I got free you know during that pandemic was you know I was happy with that even though you know
1: the pandemic also as well has obviously been very difficult for people's mental health. Yeah. And I think I've read in an interview that you yourself have had struggles with uh, depression and anxiety Mm -hmm. and stuff. And um, what I I wanted to know kind of, when did you realize that you might need to to seek help for that? And also for (laughs) anyone that's listening, that's going through uh, similar difficulties. I think it's always great for people uh, that have been in particularly in, in in jobs like your own where it's very kind of masculine alpha male and stuff and particularly young men don't talk about any issues that they're having with with mental health so for, for you being someone that 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 has openly mm-hmm. talked about that do you do you have any kind of advice for anyone listening that thinks that they they either don't want to talk about it or they don't know what the point of that is
3: well, I'm lucky enough that I've got, you know, good family and good friends around me. So I've always had people to talk to. Um, but my best advice would be if you haven't got someone to talk to, go and seek help. You know, whoever that whoever that is, you know, whether it's the doctors or, you know, whether it's I know there's so many numbers out there now that you can call. But just talk to someone. Do you know what I mean? I'm lucky that, you know, I've got my mum, my dad, my, my fiance, you know, I can talk to them and cry my eyes out in front of them. And, you know, I'm not embarrassed. I'm not worried about it. So. You know, for me, that's, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to have them because if I didn't, I wouldn't know how I would have coped. Um, so, you know, my, my best advice is if you don't have friends or family that you can talk to, you know, ring one of these numbers um, and just find someone that you can, you know. And I always found that keeping myself busy always helps. You know, I think there's, you know, there's nothing worse than sometimes your own thoughts. So if you can always keep busy, you know, for me, it's keeping in the gym and, you know, because I don't have a nine to five, it's very easy for me to just overthink things. Um, you know, it's hard to overthink if you're constantly busy. So, you know, I try and just maintain busy, you know, surround yourself with good people, of course, because there's a lot of people that can, you know, cause your anxiety and they can cause you to be in that kind of depressed yeah. state. Um, you know, fortunate enough that I haven't got that, you know, I've got good people around me and, you know, um, yeah, just talk to someone, man. That's that's I'd say the, the best advice that I can give you.
2: Absolutely. And as as we find ourselves coming out of the the pandemic now, and there's you know there's a roadmap out of this, and, and, and hopefully we'll we'll start to see a lot more you know opportunities to connect with our friends and families, you know, in in, in a more direct manner. Um, what's happening right now, and what's coming up?
3: So unfortunately, um, for me, I'm injured. Um, My hand's still busted from the last fight. So, you know, I started training again, but then... Throwing
2: some proper elbows, mate. Yeah, well, that's all I can do. Bad boy elbows. That's all I can do. Oh, saying
3: that, um, Blake, my my coach... um, uh, Chris Knowles, Knowlesley, he he said to say hello. He's like he's a big fan, so he said he's going to watch the podcast and yeah. So oh, I was living this oh, morning. And I said I'm doing an interview with um, you know Neil from the Invertinas, and he said he's a massive <laughs> fan. So um, yeah, he wanted to say hello. Um, but, oh, brilliant. but yeah, you know, because of this injury, it's, if I'm honest, it's not you know causing me any grief now. But what the doctor said was because I was constantly putting impact on it, it's not getting better, and I'm making it worse. So he said, look, you've got to have, he said, an eight to 12 weeks rest. I've had four and I feel like I'm ready to go back. So what I'm going to do is I think I'm going to have another four weeks. Um, I don't think I need 12, if I'm honest. You know, I think the doctor is just being a little bit OTT on that one. Um, But we'll see because, you know, it's kind of two steps forward and then two steps back and, you know, it's it's very frustrating. So as soon as I get that hand back to where it should be, you know, then I'm going to, Ask the UFC, let's just get me back in there. You know, I think end of June, July is probably a realistic time, you know, when I can get back in there healthily because, you know, coming off a loss, I don't really want to be taking short notice fights. Um, so, yeah, you know, for now, it's just train them elbows, you know, get good at them, get good at yeah. kicks and just work on all the areas that I possibly can, you know, without obviously damaging the hand too much. Um, so, yeah, bit of a bit of a crap one on that, unfortunately, but... You know, it's the sport I'm in. So, you know, I'm just luckily... Yeah. Luckily enough, I can still do stuff. You know, as if it was a knee injury, st- I couldn't.
2: you still got five fingers as well. You ain't lost one.
3: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, touch wood. <laughs> I don't want to go into my next fight and lose a finger or a toe. And the,
1: the, the bantamweight to me is, is I think, the best division in the UFC. I think there's yeah. so many amazing fighters in that division, both, both from, you know champ to 15, and then outside of that up to probably like 30, 35, 40. Do, do you, um is that annoying that the, the division's so good? Because it feels like there's not an easy fight in that division.
3: If I'm honest, no. I look at it as a, as a good thing because if I am if I become the champ in that division, I feel like bro, I'm pound for pound best fighter in the world because that's the best division. Yeah. Um, You know, it's very, I wouldn't say easy, sorry, but, you know, heavyweight, you know, it's quite an easy division to maybe become the champ, you know, you heavy heavyweights, you know, it's it's a lot of an it's an easier sport for them, you know, it's a lot more kind of simple as such. But, you know, for us Bantamweights, it's such a high pace, fast paced fight and the competition is so vast, you know, them top fifteen are even guys that are unranked, you know, are, are absolute monsters. So, you know, for me it's even more motivation and, you know, to be a part of that, it's, it's a cool feeling. You know, and I'm, it's I'm I'm proud almost to say that you know, I'm in the toughest division there is because I know some fighters that ranked in the flyweight division, I'm not going to mention names and I'm sitting there thinking, Oh, how how is he ranked? You know? Um, yeah. But it's what it is. You know, you, you, you play with the cards that are dealt. So
2: yeah. Well, I guess we can start to wrap it up now, uh, Nathaniel. And just um, on that note, if people want to kind of keep up to speed with you, um, that aren't following you on any socials, where's the best sort of social media platform for people to keep up to, to speed, to see you go and watch them videos. You find some bad ass elbows as well, man.
3: I was <laughs> uh, so Instagram and Twitter is both the prospect MMA. Um, and that's all I really use. You know, I have got Facebook, but I don't really use it. It's a bit old school now for me. That's just to, you know, go and say hello to me, Nan and granddad who are on there. But, um, <laughs> yeah, just drop me a follow on Instagram and Twitter and, Hopefully, you know, people like what they see.
2: Wonderful. Nathaniel, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for your time, man, and and best of luck for for the rest of your career, man.
3: Mate, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate your time, of course. Our
1: pleasure, mate. Thanks very much for coming on.
3: Appreciate it, boys. Cheers, man. See you soon. Bye, mate. Bye-bye.
1: Wow, that was great. What a lovely chap. What a nice a nice guy as well Nathaniel Wood that was uh, yeah I I just thought that was a a brilliant chat it was uh, great to hear him talk about uh, you know his his relationship with his dad how he got into the sport with Brad Pickett as well
2: I loved hearing that bit that he knew, even though he'd lost the fight, it was gonna be potential fight of the night. And just to get that insight yeah. to know that they were all sitting there watching the other fights with it, just thinking, "Don't be too good." Like, yeah, because, I it, hope this is boring. Yeah, I just thought that was incredible. You just you forget that, like you just presume. I don't know they're with medics, or you don't. I don't really know what the the kind of post you know post fight you know immediate thing is. I'm sure obviously they get checked out, but then what happens? They're sitting there watching the rest of the card to see if it affects yeah. their 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 wages which is a really cool insight. And then to know that fast forward that, they're sitting there dribbling kebabs with Brad Pickett and his dad and smashing milkshakes at 3am. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's great to
1: hear that he's already still in the gym. I know he can't train the way he wants to train with his injury at the moment but as you said he's throwing some elbows, he's throwing some kicks, he's, he's sharpening up other tools and hopefully there's a silver lining to that and other aspects of the game improve and then you, you can add today. so it would be great to see him back. Fingers crossed he's back soon. I love the idea of him fighting Thomas Almeida and yeah. avenging that loss. Yeah. Uh, that, that Brad had Thomas Almeida. I think you know Thomas just had a loss to Sean O'Malley. Uh, Nathaniel Woods just had a loss to Casey Kenny although it's like a disputed loss. And and, and Nathaniel was even saying that as far as he's concerned, you know, he, he didn't lose that fight. Um, so I think him versus Thomas Almeida could be a great fight. Um, and then he mentioned Cheeto Vera as well. So there's some really good storylines of fights out there for him. And if he strings together. Two free wins against decent opposition. He'll find himself ranked inside that top 10. And then, you know, then you've got some real big fights. Because as I said, and I think that phantom division is stacked full of just amazing fighters and absolute legends. You've got Aldo, Cruz, Frankie Edgar. And I mean, I mean, well, it's a shame I didn't ask, ask him this question. But God, what must it mean to him to fight? Against legends like that, that that will really give him that motivation that he spoke of. That it's yeah. not just turning up to fight; it's that added motivation if you're fighting a legend. I'm sure. Yeah,
2: and and to, to, to touch on that kind of thing, if you've not, if um, if this the first time listening to uh, the MMA fan podcast, you have missed uh, some some great episodes with um, uh, Brad Pickett uh, to start with, which was amazing. It was lovely to hear about their relationship from. Uh, from uh, from Brad as well and also um just touching on, on, on you know you asking about what it was like to fight a, a legend we we recently also had on uh, Arnold Allen and we asked Arnold all about sort of training a tristar and what that was like and he tells a, a really wonderful story about the first time he gets thrown in the in the cage uh with um gsp and and just that kind of oh my god this is george st pierre what, what the hell do i do here i can't hit him and, and you know i won't <laughs> say too much but i will definitely suggest going back and and listening to that episode and we've also recently had um molly mccann on and, and she spoke so openly um about her approach to sort of mental well-being and and, and as well as that kind of turning on your, your your fight face you know and, and you know we, we can you know straight away she was one of the most kindest friendliest people that we'd ever spoke to and and she says you know that all has to stop when you know when that that, that cage door shuts and it's, it's just it's been a real privilege over the last sort of four or five weeks to be able to speak to so many you know fighters that that both you know me and you have have watched on the telly and and now we're getting to ask them all the questions that we've always wanted to ask
1: yeah i mean it's been a dream of mine i've I've absolutely loved it i've been listening to mma podcasts for a while i've been watching the fights for even longer and and you know to, to be able to be chatting with these people is it's been fantastic i've absolutely loved it great this sounds like it's some kind of, like, eulogy for the show. Like, this isn't, like, the last ever episode or something. <laughs> it's like we're just eulogising the show. No, this is just normal. Stu's just getting, you know, it's, it's emotional. It's an emotional guy. Um, <laughs> but uh, what have we got what have we got coming
2: up we've got um, well this is uh, like the contender this podcast so what happens after the six episodes me and Blake are then going to have a tear up at the O2 so <laughs> well, <are we> gonna... <laughs> I don't think you'd be able to make my weight Stu <laughs> i have no chance mate <laughs> <laughs> you'd be in that sauna for a year trying to make my skinny ass weight um... I'd have to be in that sauna for six months just to fight Francis. Jesus. <laughs> um, so also we should say um, we've got some amazing guests coming up as well. We've got some more fight or flight guests coming at your way soon, right? Yes. Well, we've, we've got Lee Mack coming up, which I'm
1: really excited about. I've I, I played uh, Soccer Aid with, with Lee. And, did you uh, did, you play,
2: did you do Soccer do soccerade?
1: Oh, did I not mention that I did score and won the uh, one England's last major footballing trophy for them? Because there was be a penalty. sudden death
2: penalty shootout, one one. there? Did you yeah, just there, take there
1: one? Yeah, there was. Yeah, yeah, I did. I took the last one, mate. Went straight in the uh, the bottom corner. No big deal. Just absolutely celebrated like a G as well. Just like slattern, just or Cantona, just threw my arms up. You know, no big deal. I just do that every week, score in front of eighty thousand people at Old Trafford. But. um <laughs> but uh but yeah, so we've got Lee Mack coming up. We're also going to interview John Gooden. John Gooden has started a uh Uh, John Gooden, if you don't know, he's he's, uh, a UFC commentator, and uh, he has started up a foundation trying to help out uh, MMA gyms that have really struggled during the pandemic. We all know that gyms have been shut, people haven't really been allowed to go to the gyms unless you're, you're with elite level athletes and stuff like that, so there's a lot of gyms out there that have been suffering, and John Gooden has brilliantly tried to put together a foundation to try and donate money to one, if not more, gyms that truly deserve it. So if you've got an MMA gym out there, uh, you can get in touch with John, uh, go on the site. We might try and put this stuff up on the socials uh, where you can kind of nominate your gym uh for sponsorship for, for to receive this money from John Gooden's foundation so we're going to talk to him about the foundation but also about being a commentator at the UFC being you know front row for some of the best fights going going to places like like Fight Island and, and America Vegas all, all, all over the world for for these kind of fight events uh and so we're going to be talking to about that and what he thinks of upcoming cards and stuff as well
2: Wonderful. Scroobius Pip will be popping in again. Uh, Pip's coming back um, with um, MMA commentator Brian Lacey. Um, and we will be uh, collectively discussing... What event will that be? 261, 261 I think. So
1: one? Usman, Mazvidal. Yeah. 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 Usman, too. But also I'm probably more excited about uh, Rose versus Zhang Li and, yeah, and Draj boy. versus uh, Valentin Shevchenko. So yeah. there's going to be some great fights on that card. Uh, we're going to be discussing that, and also don't forget this week uh, on Saturday the UFC uh, is is prime time UK time. It's unfortunately Tills dropped out with his broken collarbone. We wish him all the best, but. Big Mouth. Cool Big Mouth. He's stepped up. Kevin Holland, only three weeks or whatever is uh, after losing to Derek Brunson. He's stepping in there against Martin, uh, Marvin Vittori. sorry. Um, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm all over Martin. <laughs> Martin Vittori, Marvin Vittori, Come on. Stay professional, Blake. Um, but, uh, yes. No, he's there. He's uh, he's there. And then we've got Arnold Allen. He's the co main event of one of our previous yeah, guests against Sadiq Yusuf so we'll be looking at him and it's prime time UK time and not only that But on Friday night, the night before, this Friday coming, if this goes out by then, hopefully it will, um, we've got Beda Machida 2 at Bellator. But that's not the important thing. The important thing is it's the start of the light heavyweight Grand Prix at Bellator. And I think as someone that's not watched a huge amount of Bellator, I am super excited for this. And I think it's going to be exactly what I needed to get balls deep in Bellator basically definitely <laughs> so, uh, man there, yeah. there's,
2: there's a rumble coming and I can't wait I Oh, can't well, wait
1: is that I don't know is that the week after or is that the Saturday I think there might even be a Saturday night card or something I'm not 100% sure but I know this Friday is uh, is Bader versus Machida 2 and uh yeah, that, that's, I'm, I'm very, very excited about it. It's Rumble even on that card. I need to find out. But but yeah, the start of the Light Heavyweight Grand Prix. That's all you need to know. Check it out. You want to stay focused on that and how that plays out
2: absolutely Um, if you don't follow us on the socials we are on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram give us a follow um, and yeah like, love, share, retweet tell your pals uh, if they like MMA or they just like hearing a couple of nobeds just sitting there talking about their their favourite fights and their favourite fighters that's what we do on this podcast and occasionally we get blessed to talk to some incredible people we're back next time right? Right, we're back this time. I'll make sure I get that uh,
1: spirits glass sent over to you, mate. You do oh, that. My gonna... gift. I'm well, I'm so chuffed. I'm so Definitely. happy.
2: Definitely. And I'm going to, if all goes well on this Saturday, I'm going to raise a glass to uh, Martin Vittori. <laughs> Good old
1: Martin. Oh, we love him. All right, catch you later. See you later.